0: The Bible was just a crafty story made up and written by men. Can we really trust a book written so long ago? How could a book thousands of years old have any bearing on my life today? These thoughts and questions and similar ones about the trustworthiness of God's word, the Bible, are not just rampant in our culture, but if we're honest, sometimes in our own minds. Can we trust the book that we're banking our lives on? As we start the Gospel of Luke, Luke actually addresses his own trustworthiness. He knew that people were going to doubt his reliability and the reliability of Scripture in general, so he goes out of his way to convince us That he is trustworthy. It's like he's just saying in all caps in the section we're going to see today. I am trustworthy. So before we dive into Luke, um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background to Luke. So here's top five interesting facts about the book of Luke. Number one, Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus's life and ministry. And we're going to see that in one verse two today. He investigated the details from many eyewitnesses. So you could say that he had an even better perspective because it wasn't just his perspective there during Jesus' life and ministry. He talked to lots of people who were there. So that's why, also why Luke is the longest gospel because he gets more of a comprehensive view of everything that happened. But he wasn't an eyewitness himself. Number two, Luke was a friend of Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and he traveled with Paul. Luke traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. We learn that in Acts. And Luke gets his endorsement and accreditation from Paul. Um, And we learn about that in Acts. And and Acts is also written by Luke. Uh, It's kind of a part two. Most people think that he actually wrote all of it um, to, to be like a part one, part two, to be read together. Luke and Acts. Which is, which is interesting. Number three, Luke was a Gentile. This means he wasn't of Jewish descent. This is, this is interesting because it's a different perspective than Matthew, Mark, or John, who were Jews. And it's especially helpful to us because uh, unless you are uh, of Jewish descent, most Iowans are Gentiles. So it, it has a special... Uh, um, Special pertinence to us as, as Iowans. Number four, Luke focuses on Jesus' concern for the outcasts of society. seems to really hone in on the stories that, that when he's spending time with the outcasts and ministering to them. And at the time, that would have been the poor and especially women you see highlighted in here um, who were kind of the outcasts of society at the time. I think Luke 19.10 describes this pretty well. Uh, Jesus says, and Luke quotes him saying, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's what we're going to see in this book. Anybody and everybody, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, God is pursuing you. God is seeking to save the lost of the lost. Number five, Jesus has a meal with people 10 different times in Luke. Jeremy Lineman, uh, who wrote a book called Life-Giving Group, said Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Jesus is literally eating his way through the Gospels, and we're really going to see that in Luke. And meals with others are incredibly important to Jesus, and they're incredibly important to us as we follow Jesus. So, um, I'm going to unashamedly give another plug for connection groups and or, or for the women's Bible study, men's Bible study, y- youth. Get involved in the youth group. Or if you're third through fifth grader, get involved in Ignite. Um, and something something we need to point out too, if you have a third through eighth grader, you can bring them on Wednesday and, and drop them off at six, pick them up at 730. So hopefully that can really help parents out too with picking up, dropping off, that sort of thing. But I want to challenge everyone in here to do at least one of those things outside of Sunday morning service. Get in a connection group and and get get in a Bible study. Get in something. Because here's what happened. At, At almost all of those groups, we're eating something. We're living life together and having something to eat. And it's not the food that makes it significant, but it gives us an opportunity to just open up and be real with each other. We're experiencing Jesus together, not just discussing Jesus. And we're, you'll see also, we want to really encourage this. We'll, about um, every once in a while, we'll have a potluck after church this year. Um, we are going to do what I've termed Donut Sunday again sometime Um, where we'll have tables in here. If you miss that Sunday, we'll have tables in here, have donuts on the table and give you an opportunity just to connect with some people that maybe you normally wouldn't rub shoulders with here at church, so we we can be more of a family. But all of this is because that's what we see in the Bible. That's what we see Jesus emulating, or that's what we see Jesus doing, and we want to emulate him. And we want to emulate Paul and the the other disciples and authors of the New Testament and, and live like they did following Jesus. So get, get involved in something. Okay, back with Luke. Last thing before we get into the text. We are changing Bible translation from ESV, English Standard Version, to CSB starting today, Christian Standard Bible. Here's why. First off, the CSB is more readable for the modern reader than ESV without compromising on accuracy. Let me show you a chart to help you out. So every time you're translating a language, it doesn't matter if it's a a language that nobody speaks anymore, like Koine Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, um, or if you're translating from Spanish to English or, or, or Mandarin Chinese to English, you always want it to be readable in your translation, understandable, but it also needs to be true to form of what the person was actually saying in the original language. And somewhere right in the middle is is optimal. So you see CSV is almost right there. ESV is really close. It's a good translation. Um, This is just a little more readable um, because we want to be able to pick it up and and it talk like we talk. Um, And it just does a little bit better job at that without compromising much on it being literal. So very trustworthy translation. Um, Some more practical reasons why we're changing. um, Cornerstone Church of Ames that planted us uses the CSB. So when guests come to preach, there's just greater continuity. Um, And then thirdly, real practically, we hope that changing the translation will actually spark a new excitement for God's word in your life. We hope that maybe you'll go out and and buy a CSB Bible, or you can pick up one of these at the welcome table. It's one of those journals where it's got God's Word here, and you can, you can take some notes on the other side. Um, but we hope, just like if you get a new pair of running shoes or, or workout shoes or something, usually motivates you to work out more, or to run more. We're hoping perhaps a new translation will get you to be in the Word more as well. So I always tell people the best translation is the one that you're actually reading so we just want you to be in the Word. All right, so here's what we've decided to entitle this series. It's Through the Looking Glass. No, we're not, actually. I just found that and thought it was dorky. So, um, We purposely actually didn't title it, um, because there's such an array of themes in the book of Luke that I didn't want us to box us in at all. We want God's word to speak for itself and not feel boxed into some, to some theme that we have to feel like we have to carry out through the, through the word. So it's, it's Luke's account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So we're just calling it the Gospel of Luke. Um, I know, not as exciting, but that's where we're going. That's, there's your background. So let's jump into the text. So Luke 1. Verse 1 in CSB, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke is basically saying, you can trust me. You can trust me with what I'm about to write here. Luke is saying, you can trust me, verse one, because I'm a gentleman. Well, he's not actually saying that. I I don't think he would say that in those words, but that's what he's saying. So notice in verse one, he doesn't bash other people who are writing about Jesus's life as well. That was the custom at the time. When people were writing in the first century they were often saying, hey, this, uh, this other dude wrote about this subject. They're way wrong. You should listen to me. They would say something like that. They would literally just tear down other people by name that wrote about the same thing, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that at all. He's not like, Mine way, my way is way better than theirs in some snotty tone. No, he goes, hey, others have done this too. Go check it out. Most likely he's referring to the The gospel of Mark, which was written first, he probably consulted Mark and probably went and talked to Mark himself even. But he's not competing with Mark. He's saying, that's great too. And he does this because he cares about the truth. Luke's not in this to make a name for himself. He cares about the truth. So he can be trusted because he's a gentleman. Number two, Luke can be trusted because Luke went to the source. We see this in verse 2. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. Okay, he went to the source. He consulted the original eyewitnesses. Plural. Many witnesses. See, Luke's gospel is longer and it's more detailed because he went to more than just one person and got their account. So it would be like this, okay? So imagine you're at Jack Trice Stadium And this kind of backfired on me because I was going to use this today to gloat. But imagine you're sitting here yesterday at the stadium and you watch Brock Purdy throw his third interception. And, uh, you know, over here you see, wow, man, that guy should have caught that ball, right? But maybe someone over here is like, wow, Brock, that was terrible form. And then someone over here is like, what happened? It's way on the other side of the field. I I didn't even see that. What? So you have to look up the jumbotron. And over here, you're like, man, I could see Brock Purdy's eyes and he looks afraid today, right? So the different perspective—you notice something a little bit different, or maybe maybe if you're you're closer, one of these, maybe if you're down by the field, you, you see um, Matt Campbell getting all fired up and mad or whatever. Um, you just get a different perspective and you see things differently. But I think this is a great analogy to what's happening in the Gospels. See, you have you have Matthew's perspective, and you just he's just sitting here looking at Jesus's life, right, from from his perspective. But you have Luke interviewing this guy and that gal and that guy and that gal and many, many others. So he actually gives a more comprehensive view of what happens. It's also why you find in Luke, we see the story of the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the shrewd manager. None of those stories are in the rest of the Gospels. And I think it's because he got these stories from, peop- from other people who didn't write a Gospel and they were like, oh, yeah, and Jesus said this. And it's not that Matthew wasn't there and didn't hear the prodigal son. He just, he just didn't include it for one reason or another. Just like if I was telling you about the game yesterday, if I was sitting here, I'd tell you something just a little bit different than I'd tell you if I was sitting there or there or there. Man, it's hard to even look at those pictures. Anyway, um, Who were these people? Uh, Almost certainly Mary, the mother of Jesus. You see in chapters 1 and 2, it it seems pretty clear that that he sat down and and interviewed Mary. Um, For sure, the the 12 close disciples to Jesus that he spent the most time with. And and perhaps even some of the 72 um, we see in Luke, actually, Jesus sends out 72 to do miracles and to share about Jesus with people. So perhaps some of those as well. But it says here in the text, he consulted not just eyewitnesses, but servants of the word. Servants of the word. Well, if you look at John 1.1, 1, 1, and you actually look lots of places in the New Testament, the word is often a word referred to, referring to Jesus. It says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was was with God and the word was God. It's referring to Jesus himself. So these aren't people who just saw what happened with their physical eyes. These were people that he's consulting who saw what happened with their spiritual eyes open. They understood the significance and the meaning of what they saw. So Luke can be trusted because he went to the source. Next, Luke can be trusted because Luke did his homework. Verse 3, so it also seems good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first. Luke conducted a precise, accurate, careful investigation into the life of Jesus. So thorough, in fact, that he starts, not with Jesus' conception even, he starts in 1 verse 5 with the conception of the man who prepared the way, John the Baptist. Luke had the mentality of film director Paul Greengrass. Paul Greengrass directed the movie Flight 93. And if you're not familiar with the film, it chronicles the hijacking that happened on 9-11 with United Flight 93. And then the heroic hijacking of the hijacking, so to speak, where they took over the plane and had it crash. So, and, and in so doing, probably saved a lot of people's lives. But this is why it's similar, okay? He does a careful investigation. Paul Greengrass does a really careful investigation into everything. And here's what I found. My source here is IMDb. United 93's flight crew is portrayed by real pilots and flight attendants, some of whom work for United Airlines. So they didn't go out and get uh, A actors here. They're like, no, who, who lives and breathes this stuff? Let's, let's get them in here. Families of the 40 passengers and crew members killed on United Flight 93 cooperated in the production, offering director Paul Greengrass detailed background about their loved ones down to the clothes they wore, the reading materials or music they had, their personal characteristics and mannerisms, and the snacks they might have brought aboard with them. The actors who played the hijackers and the actors who played the passengers and crew were actually kept in separate hotels during filming. They also worked out in separate gyms and did not eat meals together. The director wanted to capture the separation, fear, and hostility between the two groups. And it really shows in the film if you've seen it. And then... Uh, To make the movie as authentic as possible, director Paul Greengrass cast a number of real-life participants in the events of September 11, 2001, to play themselves. The principal real-life role in the movie is Ben Slinney, the FAA's National Operations Manager, who made the decision on 9-11 to shut down all air traffic operations in the United States. Slinney had just been promoted to the National Operations Manager position, and September 11th, 2001, was his first day on the job. Can you imagine that? First day on the job, and that happens, and you have to literally shut down all of the airlines in the US, all air traffic. Craziness. But what's, what's great is this guy is not an actor. He comes in and plays this role, and I just, we just watched this movie this week and he does great, Um, probably because he's not acting. He probably remembers that day super vividly, Um, and so he's just like reliving it for us. But um, that's that's how detailed and accurate Paul Greengrass was in directing this film. But I want you to think about this. If Paul Greengrass did this amount of homework to honor the victims of 9-11, How much more homework do you think Luke did to honor the king of kings and lord of lords? Luke can be trusted because he did his homework. Next, Luke can be trusted because Luke was orderly. It says in verse three, it also seemed good to me to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. We'll get to Theophilus in a second. Who's that guy? But he was orderly. He sequenced it. He knew the info that he was sharing was worthy of orderly, logical flow. And he's actually emulating God himself, who on day one of creation brought order out of chaos. Luke knew that a chaotic, illogical flow would communicate that Jesus, well, his life wasn't that important. It would communicate also that Luke wasn't very smart and therefore not trustworthy. Theophilus, in verse three here, he was an unknown Gentile leader. It's clear he was a leader of some sort. We don't really know who this guy was, but it's believed, and and Luke believed, it seems, that he was going to disperse what he was writing to the whole Gentile world. So Luke knew that that was his intention. He's like, I better make this coherent and I better make it orderly because literally people's eternities are on the line. Luke can be trusted because he was orderly. Next, Luke can be trusted because Luke valued certainty. Verse four, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke wasn't just thorough. He wasn't just precise, he wasn't just orderly, and he didn't do all of that just for the heck of it. He did it to convince whoever was reading that this really did happen. Commentator Robert Stein said, Luke hoped that through his gospel, the Christian faith of his readers would be strengthened and encouraged as they saw how Jesus' life and death truly fulfilled what the prophet said earlier, proclaimed how God confirmed the life and teachings of Jesus by numerous miracles and so forth. See, Luke wanted people to have rock solid conviction and certainty that the foundation of their faith is certain and is on solid rock. It's like he's saying, hey, look, Jesus fulfilled this Old Testament prophecy and this Old Testament prophecy and this Old Testament prophecy. Look, he's fulfilling scripture. This is real. This happened. He's doing countless miracles here, here, and here that many people saw. You can trust this. Luke can be trusted because he valued certainty. Now I want to zoom out a little farther here and not just show you from Luke itself that Luke is trustworthy. I want to give you some, some convincing evidence that all of God's word is trustworthy. And here's the most convincing evidence that I've found that the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors over a 1500 year period. Yet, with perfect unity and harmony of theme. I don't know how to explain that, except that this is actually God's Word breathed through the Holy Spirit through men. Forty different authors over that span of time, and it all fits together. It's gotta be Him, it's gotta be God's Word. Next, from Josh McDowell in his book, More Than a Carpenter said more than 20,000 copies for the New Testament manuscripts are in existence as of 2004. The Iliad, which is second to the New Testament and manuscript authority, has only 643 manuscripts in existence. See, in literature class, in school, No teacher doubts or puts doubt in your mind that the Iliad written by Homer was actually written by Homer. But lots of people will put in your mind that you can't trust the Bible, yet the Iliad is the second most backed up uh, ancient text, and it's got 643 compared to 20,000. We can trust God's word. Tim Keller, in his book Reason for God, said the canonical gospels were written at the very most 40 to 60 years after Jesus' death. Mark, for example, says that the man who helped Jesus carry his cross to Calvary was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Mark is saying Alexander and Rufus vouch for the truth of what I'm telling you if you want to just go ask them. Paul refers to a body of 1,500 eyewitnesses who saw the risen Christ at once in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6. You can't write that in a document designed for public reading unless there really were surviving witnesses whose testimony agreed and who could confirm that th- what the author said. See what t- Tim Keller is saying here? He's saying, hey, these guys, Alexander and Rufus... Okay, if, if their dad really didn't carry the cross, they would have been like, hey, you know what, I'm Rufus here, which is a great name. And he's like, hey, I'm Rufus. Didn't actually happen, okay? Just throw this whole thing out. That didn't happen. He's saying, hey, one of these 15, or it's not 15, 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus risen from the dead could have come forward and said, hey, it was, it was a big hoax. Don't, don't listen to him but none of them did. And they didn't because it actually happened. God's word is trustworthy. Ken Ham in his book, The New Answers 3, says when someone claims that the Bible was written by men and not by God, it reveals that the person saying this is claiming to be transcendent. For a person to validate the claim that God did not inspire the human authors of the Bible means he must be omniscient, omnipresent, And omnipotent. So the person making the claim is claiming to be God since these three attributes belong to God alone. When you claim that the Bible is written by men and not by God, you're saying that you're God. The Bible is trustworthy. But let me give you the most trustworthy, sorry, let me give you the most convincing evidence for me that the Bible is trustworthy. It's reading it. No other book do I read. And every time I read it, I'm not just reading a book. It reads me. You know what I'm saying? If you've read the Bible, you know what I'm talking about here. Okay? I, it's my go-to question of skeptics of the Bible. I just say, hey, have you read it? Well, no. Why don't you just read a little bit of it, and then we'll talk. It's, it's powerful. It's effective. I remember in, in high school, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the book of Romans just gripping my heart and life and convincing me that I needed to repent of my sin and trust in Jesus. I remember in high school and college over and over, Psalm 139 just grabbing my heart and bringing me courage and comfort. And regularly today, God breathes life into me through His Word. See, God's really speaking. No other book can I read the same passage ten different times, and each time something just a little bit different. God speaks to me about. I remember a guy. I can't. I can't remember exactly who this was, um, but a guy at, at, at a conference I went to shared his testimony, and he was he was formerly a drug addict, and someone gave him a, a, a Gideon's Pocket New Testament, and uh, he said that. Uh, he, he smoked Matthew. He smoked Mark. He smoked Luke, but then John smoked him. Okay? That's the power of God's word there. It's living and active, sharper than a double edged sword. But let me go a little farther with this. Don't just trust the Bible, enjoy the Bible. Don't just trust that it's true and go, yep, I believe that is trustworthy. Cool. Throw it aside. Enjoy relationship with Jesus through his word. Jesus died and he rose again to give you life, not just eternally, but life right now. And a key way that we enjoy this new life is from hearing from him through his word. Read and enjoy Jesus through the Bible. Now let me give you a, a couple tools here to help you with this. So here's just, this is, to be transparent, this is what I'm doing lately. So um, it's, it's, I'm always searching for kind of fresh ways to take in God's word. Um, so I'm listening to this podcast by Dane Ortlund, um, and every day, it's just like three or four minutes, and he just simply just reads the text, reads the psalm, and then does just a very quick devotional on it. And it's cool because I just catch things in different ways through auditory uh, listening. So um, there's there's a cool way. If you're not doing anything right now, this would be a great way just to just to ease into it. Really doable way to get into God's word. Um, But let me let me give you a challenge. If you're like Matt, I'm there. I'm in God's word. It's going great. Let me give you a challenge. We're starting the book of Luke. Read the whole thing this week. It was written. It was actually written in such a way that it's meant to be read all at once. Do it this week. Don't just trust the Bible, enjoy it. So to end here, let me remind you of the beauty of God's word from God's word. Psalm 19, verse seven. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, And in keeping them, there's an abundant reward. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that your word would be more desirable to us than money. I pray that it would become sweeter to us than anything that we could eat or drink. I pray that we would be warned by your word. I pray that we would be encouraged by your word. I pray, God, that we would be drawn into your presence, drawn into deeper relationship with you through opening up your word, God. I thank you that it's reliable. I thank you that it's trustworthy. I thank you for all the evidence I laid out today and, and, and much more that it really is your word, God. I pray that as we go through Luke, we would see you, Jesus, as you are and be moved by you. I pray that just considering how you lived, how you loved, how you, how you interacted with others, that it would move us to action as well to be more and more like Christ. Thank you so much for the book of Luke and thank you for your word, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.